This is Conquering Columbus. Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, Josh and I got the chance to bring back a guest we've had on previously, Ryan McManus, founder and CEO of Share Mobility. And early on, we asked Ryan about what's changed since we last spoke. And considering that was before the pandemic, a lot has changed for Ryan and his team. The last time I was here, we were probably talking about Share Mobility as a service company and looking at transportation problems a little more broadly than we do. And as anybody could imagine, between now and 2019, a lot of stuff has happened in transportation. The whole world shut down for a little bit, and that caused us to basically lose all of our business overnight. But we've always been obsessed with this transportation problem. If anything, COVID made us really convicted that the problem was even greater for those who really need reliable transportation. We decided to persist a little bit, and we found a huge problem that we're now addressing, growing really, really fast to try to address that problem nationally. Later, we talk about the new niche Ryan and his team has found, as well as how Share is helping companies increase their productive output while opening up jobs to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to apply without access to reliable transportation. We're able to help the company actually increase their productive output, and that's how we ultimately try to measure our ROI for them. It's not just about the cost of driving compared to our service. It's how much more production were you able to create because we brought these people to you. We found a lot of success working with refugee and immigration organizations. And these organizations, they've came to us and said, hey, this company would love to hire our people, but we need transportation. And then there's been other cases where we'll take a partner and bring them to an employer that has all these open jobs. We don't charge anything for that service, but we see being the connectors in communities to be able to fill jobs is super important. We're doing this all across the country. I think it's going to be a big reason why we're successful helping our customers finding really great people, and then they are able to keep those great people. We wrap up the show talking about what it takes to scale a business versus getting it started. As founders, we're ready to roll up our sleeves and do. And the key to being the next leader of this business is more about developing talent so that they can be the producers. It's about thinking longer term and doing more planning, getting out of the day-to-day production. Josh and I had a great time catching up with Ryan. We're sure you'll find some value in this episode as well. That's it for me. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And today I am joined by Josh. So, Josh, what's going on? You know, every time you say you're joined by me, but I'm here every time. So Not every can, time. Yeah, every once in a while. Not every time. And you know Literally what else like I've three episodes ago, you weren't on it. What I hate about the way you do these intros is that you make me just free flow talk. And I realized uh-huh. doing this, my life is very boring. And so when we do two in a row, <laughs> I have nothing but repeating what I said on we Tuesday. We had one on Tuesday and now we're recording on Thursday. And so you're stuck. You got nothing. That's right, dude. I don't do a lot of exciting stuff. Like I am excited. Change. I am excited for this discussion. Yeah, my life doesn't change very much. Well, pretty much the same every single day. That's pretty sad. Well, you going to be okay? Unless I have a positive life right, and it's not right, too right. sad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I'm excited for our discussion today as well because it is a part two. We're bringing an old guest back. So without further ado, we will introduce our guest. And today on the show, we are joined by Ryan McManus. And he is the CEO and co-founder of Share Mobility, a mobility company focused on providing other companies with the ability to provide transportation to their staff as a benefit. So think like a specialized Uber for getting you to work that you don't have to pay for. When we first spoke with Ryan back in 2019, he and his team had been at it for a few years, but things have really taken off since then. And we decided to bring Ryan back on the show to talk about how things have changed, what the team is working on today, as well as how some of these general changes in Columbus, such as Intel and other large companies bringing in a whole bunch of new employees and people are going to impact 
both his business and city at large. So Ryan, excited to have you back. Welcome to Conquering Columbus. Hey guys, it's great to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. And appreciate you joining us on a Thursday evening. You guys have a Pelotonia fundraiser you're going to tonight as well. So we're just managing to squeeze you in here, but I appreciate you joining us and looking forward to talking more. But one of the first places we always like to start is just giving a little background to our guests, especially for those people who maybe didn't catch that first episode. So you want to tell a little bit about yourself, your story, kind of how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Ryan McManus, been an entrepreneur for almost a decade now. Now, I'm the founder of Share Mobility and our CEO. We are an enterprise company providing transportation as an employee benefit. The last time I was here, we were probably talking about Share Mobility as a service company and looking at transportation problems a little more broadly than we do. And as anybody could imagine, between now and 2019, a lot of stuff has happened in transportation. The whole world shut down for a little bit, and that caused us to basically lose all of our business overnight. But we've always been obsessed with this transportation problem. And if anything, COVID made us really convicted that the problem was even greater for those who really need reliable transportation. We decided to persist a little bit and we found a huge problem that we're now addressing and growing really, really fast to try to address that problem nationally. I mean, a great place to start the conversation is just go back to that moment, right? So we got done talking to 2019 and none of us knew what loomed on the horizon a few, probably maybe even just a few short months later, but COVID hits, world shuts down and you're in that moment, right? Where just everybody calls in and is like, hey, I don't got to get anybody to work anymore. So we don't really need your services. What are you thinking? And I guess what's going through your mind in that moment? Really hard times. It's where entrepreneurs can actually find opportunity. And so when everything shut down, it allowed us to really hyper-focus on who was still moving, who was still having to physically show up at an office or at a factory at the height of the pandemic. And no matter what was happening in the world, they still had to show up. And we found that the greatest problem that the companies were having during that time, if you were requiring people to come into a physical location, it was very hard to fill those jobs. And it became very, very competitive for talent. And transportation was the thing that was going to unlock the job openings. That's so interesting because one of the things I've been like hyper-focused on over the last 12 months and where I'm at is about like the segmentation of your market and understanding where do we fit. And so you guys almost had this natural event plow in and say like, it wouldn't fully segment for you guys, or maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth. That'd be part of my question, but it more naturally made you realize like, okay, the most urgent need for our services, even when real life comes back is going to be within these sectors. And now we have to figure out within those sectors, who do we even fit in the best profile? Is that kind of how it played out or totally off? Well, we were thinking that we had no idea when it was going to end. So we almost had to operate under this is the new normal. And if things never changed, who would still be our customer? And that also made us think about recession-proofing the business, right? If today we're not going to a physical office because of the concern about health, what if remote work becomes the standard, what happens then? And if we just rebuilt our business with the old type of customers buying for the reasons that they had previously, the business was going to be at risk for any future event. So it was really important that we found a segment of reliable demand. So if COVID ended, but then gas prices hit five bucks, so. And they, they <laughs> as, did. As it <laughs> But it, 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 might, it might be good too, though, because I, and your, your response was really, it, it was eye-opening because I'm putting myself in the shoes of now and hindsight's 2020. And so I see where you're coming from with that. Where were we at or where was Share at with respect to before COVID hit in terms of size of the company and traction? Was the ball moving forward pretty well? February of 20 was our biggest month ever at the time. And March was going to be even bigger and we were doing great. Oof. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Just saying that I'm like, oh, 
Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that there weren't some hardships in the business that we weren't still working through, but like things were looking really bright for us, but the business hadn't hit product market fit. I think we had told ourselves that we hit product market fit because we got a bunch of different types of people to move in a vehicle together and they all had transportation gaps and we were solving it. But the reality was that we had different buyers buying slightly different versions of the solution being delivered in a couple of different ways. And it didn't have the level of consistency. Like I'd always heard of that mythical flywheel, right? Like you get it, you just kind of really know it. And we were doing good, but the business had a lot of operational challenges when you're supporting that many different types of customers. And then it was during COVID, my team figured this out. And it was that we had all these value propositions that we thought were important to the customer and they had been validated and they said, these are important to us. But we found that filling jobs was the only thing that really moved the needle. That was where it had really, really clear ROI and you didn't have to believe, you didn't have to buy into this. You could see that if we offer this, we'll fill our jobs. If we fill jobs, there's hours filled and there's revenue output from that. It became clear cut and dry. And then we just kept saying the same thing over and over as we met with new organizations. And then we knew we really had something when in maybe 10 different states, we had the same title buying for the exact same reason, but in very different geographic areas. And that was maybe Q3 of last year that we really started to hit product market fit. So yeah. that's what like, sorry, jump into like two and a half years in or so of really when you first got the ball rolling. No, no. Of until Q3 of last year, like how long you guys been at it? Because we stopped in 2019, you'd be going at it for... Yeah, we've been going at it for a couple of years at yeah. that point. And so... Yeah. Those years go by so fast. You're right. So that's like four, almost four and a half years <laughs> till real. And you did. He, he was a revenue. math major, by the way. Yeah, yeah. we're in six years. We're, we've been at up at it for six years now. Yeah. The cool thing is, is the second time we did it post COVID, we built it twice as fast with double the gross margins mm -hmm. and a great product and a great team where we just didn't have the foundation the first time around. Yeah. I've heard it described in one good way that when you're looking for that product market fit and it was, Hey, you're looking for your zebra, right? Cause early on in the business, you sell anything that looks like a zebra, donkeys, antelope, right? Horses, anything that could use your product and it generally looks the same. But eventually you figure out like, what is my zebra, right? What is the thing that, and then you start selling and you're like, okay, does it have stripes? Nope, right out, right? Like yep. we lock that in. And then it also reminds me of something Matt Scantlin said on the podcast, which was early on, you sell to anybody who finds any value in your product. But then when you start to scale and you start to find the right product market fit, you sell to people who truly value your product. So I think it's really interesting that you guys kind of found that niche and it continues to grow. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the idea behind that, you know, it's interesting. I don't think I ever fully comprehended it until I tried to find product market fit in an extremely competitive environment, because then you kind of realize like the gray areas disappear and you have to hit the nail way on the head. Like, I mean, think about companies that we've been a part of together, the experience, it's like four or $5 million in revenue and you think you have the product market fit. And then you realize, okay, look, if we really, really want to be successful, here's where we focus. And it's this like ever ongoing, continuously optimizing process. Well, it's not all revenue is equal in building a startup. I've got a couple of board members that like through COVID, they were really, my whole board was very, very involved in the business and helping us get through this. And in the early days when we had lost everything, we were almost open to anything that would keep the lights on. And and the board helped us understand that that's not the commitment we made to our investors to just build any type of business that had any kind of revenue. It had to be a meaningful business, but a, a business that would have long-term big opportunity that was aligned with our original problem statement around transportation. And so we had to stay disciplined to building kind of within the mobility structure that we started in, where like you just couldn't take it anywhere during COVID. So fast forward to today, what does that product market fit look like? Is it from a state perspective? Is it from a certain vertical perspective? 
Well, our ideal customer profile has become very, very narrow and it's national. We're in 12 states now. We can go into pretty much any market. And so it's not really geographic based. It's much more about the industry we're in. So we're focused on manufacturing and logistics. We're focused on facilities that are outside of urban areas. So think of your collar counties, all the counties surrounding Franklin County are the large facilities you see off the highway. We're looking for hourly workers that are shift-based. So hourly workers showing up in a rural-based location, three shifts a day in very large facilities. That's specifically what we're looking for. And the reason that we've narrowed in on that ideal customer profile is we know that those organizations have the greatest need for filling jobs right now. And their employees are spending as much as 40% of their income on the commute. And we can have a huge economic impact on people's lives if we can help them reduce one of their largest expenses. It also seems to me like that shift setup would also be operationally beneficial for you guys because you can both drop people off and pick up the exiting shift all at the same time. So in terms of efficiency, that seems like a really good way to do it. Absolutely. Especially when you're driving 45 minutes to an hour away, we call it deadhead time is you want to make sure that there's never a time where the vehicle is driving empty. And so with the three shift operation, we can basically always keep it full. It's funny too, when you look at those attributes, like as you say them to us, it's like, well, clearly all those things would be obvious to be perfect for a solution like this. But finding those is so incredibly difficult. With respect to where you guys are at today and finding those actual customers, like there's no database you can just go in and plug, you know, like rural business, unless maybe you guys have found one, but I'm assuming it's probably challenging. You know, it's like manufacturing rural. How are you going about finding these customers at scale? So we know for any given physical address, we have to get five pieces of information to really know if it's a good customer or not. And so we basically have built a list of the entire world of prospective customers for us. So we know who they are and we've been able to determine for each one of those jobs, how many jobs are open. And then we're using that data for our sales team to target which organizations have the biggest opportunity for us to help. Yeah. And I'm sure that's pretty impactful when you come in and say, hey, all those jobs that are sitting out there right now. I mean, I wouldn't imagine most people would turn that down. I guess what I'm curious about is going even back a step there and saying, okay, what made you realize that this was your ICP? I mean, COVID obviously had a big impact on that, but like when you're scrambling, when you're looking there and going, okay, I've got to find the ideal customer for this. And there's a lot of different avenues we can take. Did you interview a lot of customers? Were you asking questions of the people that you currently had as customers or people who stayed through COVID and saying, hey, what made you stay? Why is this valuable to you? Like, how did you go about identifying that? So we pumped a ton of money into digital advertising and email marketing and just tried to get enough marketing and sales data points to validate that there was a need. While we did a little bit of customer listening, it was more about conversations through our sales team to validate that by saying the same thing over and over and over again, it was leading to yeses and contracts. If I remember correctly, your background was in digital marketing before starting Share, right? Yep. I had did a marketing agency called Content Via prior to starting this company. So it kind of like all these worlds come together and you find your skill set and say, hey, we can double down on this to really get the insights that we need to try to grow this thing. Yeah, but that's not why we had success at all. I really think that the key to success through COVID was the grit that my team had. And, you know, as a founder, you kind of learn what your strengths are. And then over time, your strengths can become the company's biggest weakness. And so like, while I loved selling, the only reason that we started to have success was because I was able to get out of selling and because we had an awesome sales team that was doing all of the interactions from customers. And for me, that was a lot of what made product market fit real. Wasn't about me as a founder and what I could say, because founders can go in and say whatever they want. And we get perceived differently by Mm -hmm. prospective customers than your sales leader might. But when 
the sales leader and then their team could go in and sell with the same message and you didn't have to get involved, then you knew you really had something. Even the sales leader, right, gets perceived differently from that frontline salesperson, right? If your VP of sales comes in and says, hey, yeah, we're going to do this, there's a lot of trust there. But if your frontline salesperson can say, here's what we're going to do, they believe it and they buy it based off of that, that's a pretty powerful message. Yep. When you think about your current team, the way you guys are built, right? You're building this kind of one ICP, one product channel. Because you mentioned earlier, right, that you had quite a few people buying it for different reasons. Are there other, well, I guess I'll call them products for now. Are there other lines of business that you have on your mind that you're like, hey, once we lock this in and get this going, maybe we can try some other areas? Or is your plan kind of, hey, let's scale this portion, this line of business as far as it'll go until we start thinking about anything else. Yeah. So at the risk of seeming distracted, the one area where I really want to make an impact is in rural and small city transit. We've developed a software product that produces some of the most efficient modes of transportation. And we've proven in small to medium-sized communities that it can be really effective at operating transit. We're starting to build out a team to be able to work with communities and transit agencies. That's more on the technology side. And what it does is it brings together this public side where we've got transit on our platform running. And we've got this private side, which is companies funding transportation. And if we can bring those together, I think there's a huge opportunity to improve the transportation ecosystem. Mm -hmm. As long as you can show those companies that it will be a benefit to them. Totally. Totally. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies. It grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. In what areas of that value chain? It sounds like you're focusing on all of them, right? So I was curious and I was going to ask that before you threw out the logistics technology, like you guys didn't decide to take technology off the shelf or take any other parts of this value chain. You're building it all out internally then. Yeah, we've got our own engineering team. We've got 17 or 18 engineers right now building our product. Everything's proprietary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Not a lot of our customers even know about the routing engine and the algorithms that go into making all of this stuff happen. You know, they care about is the vehicle full? Are you arriving on time? And what is my cost per ride? But a lot of the tech that we built in the last few years was to make this industry-leading efficient transportation solution. The next phase of product development for us is really about going deeper into enterprise and human resources and being able to tap into all of the data they have about their employees and their workforce and to use that to optimize the commute. That's a big part of our product development right now is making it easier for 
us to integrate with companies. Like, for example, we qualify as an IRS pre-tax benefit. So if a rider pays two bucks for a ride, it comes out of their paycheck pre-tax. And so we're working on some integrations with the major payroll providers. So that all happens seamlessly. Yeah. And something else I'd be curious about is there, I mean, I can even imagine there's a lot of data in HR and their schedules and things like that, but I could even imagine a situation where it's like, hey, if you optimize your shift schedules this way, we can offer you rides at a slightly lower rate because these people are all in the same area. Well, and you can even think about like rush hour times, right? You know how if you leave the house 10 minutes later, it can add an hour or half hour to your total commute time, right? Like there's going to be a level of intelligence to that. But for a company, the commute is like the first step in the supply chain and they've never done anything to optimize that. And they leave the decisions of how you're going to get to work up to the individual. Imagine if companies did that with health insurance and every employee today had to figure out every part of the healthcare ecosystem themselves, right? And so kind of transportation works that way today. And so I think like long-term companies are going to see the economic benefit of combining the buying power of they have and their ability to provide transportation at 50, 60, 75% less than what it would cost an individual if they drove themselves. And over time, more and more people are going to be taking jobs where transportation is provided. And I think there's a future where people go into their job interview saying, how are you getting me to work? And especially with that demographic that is working inside of that ICP, it's like, I don't think about it ever because for one, I live right where I want to be. If I need to drive, I have a car. But I mean, there's a massive population out there that one of their major concerns is just like traveling anywhere, whether it's to the doctor, it's to work. And it's just got to be a massive relief off of them that they just can walk into an environment and finally just worry about getting the job done and maybe turning people's life around even. I mean, imagine being in some type of criminal record or something in your past, and then you're trying to turn your life around with respect to that. It's got to be very powerful, I'd assume. You know, transportation is something that's definitely not fair and it's definitely not equal. And in an effort to treat everybody equally, we've treated people very unfairly when it comes to the commute and everybody's expected to figure it out on their own and pay for it on their own, but not everybody's earning the same thing. And while like the federal numbers say that like 9% of households don't have access to a car. When you start looking in certain communities, you look at populations of refugees, people recently released from prison, individuals with disabilities, your car availability goes way, way down, right? And the beauty of offering transportation to your employees is it allows more people to say yes to the job and you can open up your recruiting pool. Companies have always been really scared to do anything around this because it's illegal for them to ask if you own a car. So even if they wanted to be helpful, they dance around this question because they don't want anyone to perceive that they use that financial information to discriminate, Mm -hmm. right? So what we're saying is you need to introduce transportation to every person equally. Mm -hmm. Don't ask if you have reliable transportation. Make sure you have an answer for them. And then that's going to allow you to go out and actively pursue people that don't have transportation into neighborhoods that may have 25% or more households with no car at all, right? And it's a fundamental change for HR departments Mm -hmm. to make. And there's some communities starting to look at commuter benefits ordinances. And I think uh, with like the Link Us project that's coming Columbus with these corridors, if there's any hope of those working, we absolutely need to have participation of the employers that are going to take residents along those corridors. And a commuter benefits ordinance is going to be the way that governments mandate that companies participate in mobility. And the really transformative thing would be if you know, a city like Columbus were to mandate that all companies offer commuter benefits within five years, every person in the city would learn about an alternative way to commute. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that's how long-term you'll affect behavior change, but I'm not trying to take you out of your Tesla. I 
want to help your neighbor that doesn't have transportation today, and I want to help him get to a job where they can earn more. Mm-hmm. He took himself out of the Tesla. Did he? He's got a Jeep now. I did. I couldn't handle the all Too flashy? No, it was just like I'd want to go somewhere that was outside that 300-mile range, and I'd find it turning into like a seven-hour trip, you know? Yeah. Out of all the people who don't have cars, I'm really complaining now. Huh? Right. Did you still rent it? Did you ever do it on Turo? Did uh, you rent I it did, out? I did it on Turo once. It's, I don't know. It's a funny story for our listeners. This guy showed up, pretty big guy, bigger than probably what the car should have handled, and then <laughs> he came back with it like three hours later, and the front wheel was making noises, and he's like, yeah, I took it down to Hocking Hills and ripped it around the roads a little bit, and I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm going to rent this That's out. Not for you. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Not what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the idea of not paying for my own car. And then I realized I got a new car for the first time. I was like really emotionally attached to it. And so I bounced that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I right. do think there was a strong opportunity. But I want to jump into economic impact for the businesses. So the ROI, have you guys been at it long enough to where you've been able to pull data and understand what impact you're having on their actual financial outcome? So for hourly workers, the kind of initial data, it's not the same across every company. We can't get this out of every one of our customers, but the retention rate impact is about a 50% increase, which means like if you were going to lose half your workers, you're going to only lose 25% of them. For most companies, it's about $5,000 per employee. And there's a lot of companies that have 100, 200% turnover, meaning they're changing every employee once or twice per year. Well, not only that, but you also have the added cost of training, added costs of lost production due to not having those people. I mean, there's just a ton of Yeah, that's huge. Yep. So as I think about the value chain that we bring to a company, it starts with filling your jobs faster. So for every job that you have open, there's an amount of productivity that you're losing. And if those jobs stay open for weeks or months, you're just losing more money over that time. And so when companies put into the job application or the job description, transportation provided, they get applicants faster, they fill their jobs faster. They also are able to make their job pay more competitive because they're able to compare what you're keeping. And if another job would require you to drive, but this company provides transportation, that could be equal to 20 or 30% of what you're earning. And so there's a financial benefit to the company because they don't have to increase wages, but they can still increase how much you're taking home. The last ROI is about like productive output of their plants. And we see this most in manufacturing and logistics. Right now, building materials, food manufacturing, starting to be a ramp up of automotive industry, but with chip shortage, it's still kind of down. But those industries just try to go buy new windows today. The lead time on them is really, really long. And a big part of that is that the factory doesn't have enough jobs. And so we're able to help the company actually increase their productive output. And that's how we ultimately try to measure our ROI for them. It's not just about the cost of driving compared to our service. It's how much more production were you able to create because we brought these people to you. The last thing I'll say is about the partnerships that we're bringing to our customers. We found a lot of success working with refugee and immigration organizations. And these organizations, they've came to us and said, hey, this company would love to hire our people, but we need transportation. And then there's been other cases where we'll take a partner and bring them to an employer that has all these open jobs. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be able to go and hire out of these communities. Mm -hmm. And so we don't charge anything for that service, but we see being the connectors in communities to be able to fill jobs is super important. And so now we're doing this all across the country. I'm super excited. We just hired a nonprofit manager to work with our partners. And I think it's going to be a big reason why we're successful helping our customers, not just with transportation, but finding really great people. And then they are able to keep those great people. So Columbus is changing a lot. We talked about the Intel thing going on. What goes through your mind and how are you guys going to have an impact? Or do you think you'll have an impact with how that's all going to play out? So, you know, it's awesome that our state has so many projects and it's not just 
here in Columbus. I mean, you can go up in the Youngstown area. There's some really, really cool stuff. Cincinnati, there's amazing projects happening all across the state. And what's really, really consistent about that is they're being located further from where a majority of our population lives, right? And one of the things that I hear a lot from those companies that are coming here is their commitment to diversity and their commitment to hiring from diverse populations. And if your business is in a rural location, it's not that easy to do. Right. And if you're creating thousands of jobs in a community that doesn't have thousands of residents, you're going to require that those people commute. And, you know, we don't have a ton of public transit and public transit doesn't cross county lines in this state with few exceptions. A lot of these jobs that are being created are car dependent unless we're successful in getting more companies to adopt commuter benefits. And so as companies are coming in, we want to be working with them very, very early in their kind of planning and growth stages and think about how when their employees go there for that first day of work, we can be optimizing the commute for them. And it's interesting, like, I didn't think about the systemic issue here, but pockets of and cultures of people tend to reside in these pockets, right? And so as you think about the long-term impact to share, if you guys can continue to achieve the level of success that you're already on and that you envision for, it's like you could totally change the way that whole diversity impact is going to play out across the country or even if you guys expand internationally. I think it's going to start with you're going to be able to hire people that couldn't otherwise get to the job. And if you can address that problem you immediately make your employee population more diverse. What about competition? I'm assuming there's other people watching you guys, what you're doing and seeing the success and they're wanting to jump in. Are you guys starting to see competitors pop up and go for the same mission? Yeah, there's a half a dozen companies around the world trying to attack transportation for workforce. We're all maybe doing different flavors of it. You know, there's some that are taking a carpool angle. I'm like, that's valid. You have some other companies that are software only trying to help companies like Google with their busing. It operates much more like a fixed route bus. We are kind of unique in that we do two things. We focus on working with companies that have never done this before. So we are their very first transportation program for employers. And we are a turnkey solution for those companies. So we don't provide them the software and say, you go run it and you hire the operator. We provide them everything they need to decide which employees should be riding, how to market them, have them sign up, manage the transportation provider all end to end. It's a turnkey solution for us, which makes companies that have never done it feel very comfortable about trying it. And we're now having organizations open up their second, third, fourth location with us. And these organizations that six months ago had never budgeted a dollar for employee commuting. We help them understand that even though they didn't budget it, it was already being spent, but it was being spent post-tax very inefficiently. And if they can manage this for their employees, it's really good for them and really good for the individual. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's great that you guys have found this niche and you found your ICP. And it sounds like things are going really well. I guess what I'm curious about is what do you expect the biggest challenges to be in the next three to five years as you go after your growth goals? Is it education? Is it something else that we're not thinking of? What do you see as the biggest obstacles to your growth? Nobody's making the perfect share vehicle right now, right? And as we get more and more organizations to manage transportation for employees, we're going to need the volume of vehicles that doesn't exist today, right? The last few years, there's been a slowdown in manufacturing of large capacity vehicles. And as the automotive industry shifts to electric, there's an even greater delay in the manufacturing of these vehicles. And so with success is going to come the need and an opportunity for purpose-built vehicle. I think that 
government's going to continue to support what we're doing, and we're going to see more and more policy that support mobility in general, both supporting public transit and private transit. I think just in our own world, like this company, the biggest thing is hiring and being able to find great people, support them right, build the team. Every day we got to operate safely, right? As a transportation provider, to earn the right to support our customers, we have to operate safely today. Building a team that internalizes that mission is really driven by the impact that we're having on the individuals and companies we serve is going to be really, really important to us. I'm thankful that we're building the business here. Columbus has been an incredible place to be able to build this company. I'm really thankful of how many of our business leaders have taken a meeting with me or somebody on my team, given us advice, given us connections, been our customers, been our early customers. Like so many of the companies in Columbus were our early customers and continue to be. So this has been an incredible place to get the company started. And I think it's going to be the place where we can find the rest of our team and we'll be able to keep growing it here. As you think about you growing this company versus your time growing the previous companies, Content VR, whether it be another company, have the struggles changed? Are the challenges different or does it feel very similar and it's nice that you kind of know what's ahead and you can predict those landmines a little better? It doesn't get any easier, right? It's just some new challenge that you have to develop. I find that the needs just constantly evolve as the business grows. And so like, I know I have a lot of personal development to do to continue to be the leader of this company and grow from founder to CEO. But I feel really confident that I've got good people around that are mentoring and coaching me. And to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it or that it's appropriate, you mentioned the strengths and how you identified those and then the areas that you want to grow in. Are there certain things that stick out to you that you really feel like you need to make leaps and bounds forward on? As founders, we'll often just do whatever is needed and we're ready to roll up our sleeves and do. And the key to being the next leader of this business is more about developing talent so that they can be the producers. And I've got some people that have done this that are helping me through it. So I'm lucky in, to that extent. But it's about thinking longer term, being more strategic and doing more planning and getting out of the day-to-day production. Working uh, on the business instead of in the business. Yeah. It's so much easier yeah. said than done too, right? Because it, it sounds simple in theory, but then most entrepreneurs, their natural instinct is to get in and just get the job done. And that's why they're able to be entrepreneurs, get to where they are. And so the idea of watching somebody fall a little bit short and something that you know you could just step in and you could recover quickly, pulling yourself out of that is it's tremendously difficult. Especially early on. I mean, the example I always give is, you know, when I first started managing sales reps, every time I watched them do something wrong in a meeting, I wanted to jump in so bad and be like, no, 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 hold on. I'm going to save this. But those mistakes, even though they're going to cost you maybe a deal or two in the short run, as long as they learn from them and grow and develop, eventually they'll be able to close all those deals themselves. But it's super hard to kind of take your hands off and go, okay, we're going to let you mess a couple up here. Mm -hmm. I also struggle knowing where to divide that line too, though. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, how long do you let that go on for before you eventually do step in versus just totally removing yourself, right? Because I don't think it's a zero to 100 thing. I don't think you're either all in or you're all out. I feel like you got to- Oh, you you have to put your people in the right positions too. It's why you don't put a brand new sales rep on an enterprise deal first go around, right? You got to give them the smaller deals and let them kind of, hey, I don't care if you screw this up. You're going to screw up a bunch of them. So let's get it out of the way now. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, it's it's all it's all very complicated. And it's tough. It's tough to let people kind of just let them go and make mistakes. I think that's a good place to kind of pivot towards some of our last questions of the show, Ryan. So first one we have is uh, for our listeners out there. Right. A lot of them are young professionals. Some of them thinking about being entrepreneurs, considering entrepreneurship. What advice would you give to someone like that who maybe has never done it before and is thinking about making that leap? I think it's an incredible time now to 
start a business. What I would do if I wanted to start a business was just kind of look around and find a problem or maybe like a product or service that you find that the pricing is really egregious, right? Or you think you might be able to do it differently. But I think the advice is to just get started and don't worry about it being perfect because you've got to get going and learn and you need to go through cycles and you've got to get through a lot of the entrepreneurial delusions that you have and you've got to get through that Dunning-Kruger curve where you think you know everything and you got to learn how many things you don't know. But I think a lot of people wait because they think that there's like this perfect time or they've got to stop doing something before they can start doing something. And I think if you wait for that perfect moment, it will never happen. And I think you should start immediately and also don't feel like you have to cut one thing off to start the next thing. A lot of times entrepreneurship is about and and not making a choice of one or the other and trying to figure out how to do both. Yeah, really solid advice. And our last question of the show is one you've heard before. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. So instead of reflecting on how it affects how you think about it, because I think if people want to hear that, they can go back and listen to the last episode. How has your perspective changed on living uncomfortably in the last few years, given everything you and your team have gone through? A great question. I think I've gotten comfortable with the idea that that's normal, that's the constant and that it won't go away. That learning in general puts you kind of outside of that comfort zone. And so like almost gotten to the point where I expect that and seek that out and use that as a signal that I'm doing something right and that I'm either pushing it or trying something new. If you're not trying something new, then what are we doing? Yep. Right. So awesome. Brian, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Thanks, it's been guys. great talking to you and learning more about where share has gone and where you guys are going. So Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode and you want to learn more about share, go ahead and check out sharemobility.com. Sharemobility.com. Nice and easy. If you want to hear more interviews just like this one, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We release every Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>